Warning, the Dub Talk podcast may contain language and content that may not be suitable for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Also, there will be spoilers for the entirety of the film Josie, the Tiger, and the Fish. Proceed with caution in case you do not wish to be spoiled on the entire film. Finally, the opinions expressed in today's episode belong to the individual participants and do not reflect the Dub Talk podcast as a whole. If that's not wonderfully timed, do you want to improv, buddy? Would you like to be part of the disclaimer, sir? Do you have anything you would like to tell the viewers? Are you shy now? We were hoping, now that you've come in, that you would say something, bud. I think he wants down. Okay. That was cute, though. It was very cute. Welcome back to Dub Talk Presents Summer at the Movies, Season 6. We've been doing this for six years. It's unbelievable. So It's unbelievable how long we've been doing this, covering movies for six fucking years now. But here we are, covering another movie. You are staring deep into my eyes. This is awkward as fuck. So, um, full disclosure to you, dear viewers. Um, Hello, my name is Stephanie. I'm here with Andrew, sitting across the way from me on the fucking couch of our apartment. So, full disclosure. Um, we've done a number of recordings with each other in the same room before. This is definitely not our first rodeo doing this. But here's the thing. Usually when we're doing that, we're talking with other online compatriots of ours. So, we're usually sitting at our desk. At the desk. Side by side. Side by not side. Really facing not facing each other. <laughs> but to, here we are today. We're taking the we're taking the next big step into full-blown podcasting authority authorship. We are facing each other in a desk, in a room, facing one another. We're not even at a desk. We're on our couch, Andrew. We're creating the illusion of authenticity and professionalism. Listeners, we're sitting on our fucking couch with a goddamn breakfast tray to keep the mic level in between us right now. That's what we're up to. This is There's no illusion to it, bud. I, I, I guess, yeah, this is interesting for me, too, just trying it out like this a because yes I, this is the first time i'm looking directly at you doing this and i'm going to be real with you mm-hmm. this may surprise you yes i do quite enjoy looking at you i don't know what to say about that good lord god you know how to compliment a girl huh Ah, so yeah, I'll say this. If, this. if this is the episode where you see people being flirty and affectionate with each other and you think, oh god, I want a fucking gag, you might want to click off of this one. I'm just going to be real with you. But hey, we're also here to talk about a movie that's weirdly appropriate considering we've been dating for almost four fucking years. And, the, and today's movie we're talking about is actually a fun little romance story, if anything. It is. So fucking timing couldn't be better so today for summer at the movies we're going to be talking about the 2020 film from studio bones and directed by kotaro tamura uh josie the tiger and the fish all right yeah um this is actually a film i remember when um 
We this... went to see it in films last year when it came out. We did, yes. We actually did get to go see this together in a theater, so we had some yeah. some relations to seeing that. But I remember even before um, before this got licensed, I had been seeing a couple of trailers about this. and uh, I didn't know much about it. I, so. I knew that this was based off of a, a popular short story in Japan, and... I, I don't like subscribing to the mindset that a studio is automatically a label of quality because there's all sorts of varying factors when it comes to animation studios oh, and who's at the helm of that. Absolutely. But I also won't lie when I see the, the, the label of Studio Bones, I'm at least curious and intrigued. If I see Studio Bones, I'm like, this is in good hands. I love Studio Bones' work, like, for sure. See, I'm not going to pretend that they have a perfect track record. Believe me, I know about a couple of them. I've seen Soul Eater not. I get it. Ah, yes, that one. Well, I mean, as far as I know, the source material is not fantastic either. Yeah, but the production of that wasn't th th fantastic either. Point is, we're here to talk about Josie the Tiger and the Fish. This is something I was curious about for a bit. And then I saw that Funimation apparently picked this one up. Yeah, I, I'm ex I was excited about it. And then they only did a limited release, like a two-day release of it. They did a pretty limited run for this in July of 2021. Where was it July? It was either June or July. Hang on. Don't we have the fucking ticket stub? Yeah, we do. Hang on, Hold I can on. go get the ticket stub. So we have we have this little I got for I think either our anniversary or for his birthday or Valentine's Day a few years ago. This little um memory book um where you can like take your ticket stubs to things or places you've been to and you can put it in this book. So we have like movie tickets, show tickets, um any kind of ticket. What do you got? July 13th. July. It was July. Wow, I thought it was earlier than that. Shit. It was July 13th, 2021. Notable because there's a decent gap between this and the other movie when we went to go see Tokyo Godfathers with our buddy Jet. Oh, fuck. In That's March right. 11th of 2020. I think Josie was the first movie we went and saw together, like, once things... Start, they, they weren't quite stuff. here's the thing the problem was that things weren't quite there right but we were at least vaxxed and i was at least willing to give it a shot yeah and it, we had so much fun it was a really it was so much fun and we're very excited to talk about it today but anyway for those of you who have not heard of this film before uh here's a quick summary based on um the back of the box the back of our uh blu-ray set with dreams of diving abroad uh, Sunio gets a job assisting Josie, whose art takes her far beyond her home. But when the tide turns against them, they push each other to places they never thought possible and inspire a love fit for a storybook. Mm. That's that's as bare bones of a uh, summary as you can get, but that's fair because there's really a lot more to this. So. Suneo is a college student. He's saving up money by taking these part-time jobs to study abroad uh, in Mexico because his dream is to find this certain type of fish that he's known about since he was a kid. He, just by random happenstance, runs into, quite literally, a girl in a wheelchair. Her name is uh, Josie. Technically, that's not actually her that's name. That's technically not her name. Her name is Kumiko, but... The name she chose for herself is based off of a, a character she really likes and, a it, story. and relates to Josie. 
So she likes to be referred to as Josie. Yep, he quite literally, quite literally, Sunio runs into Josie. And because of that, her Josie's grandmother hires him to help as like a caretaker on on some days so that way grandma can go gamble and play pachinko she's she's <laughs> so. a, she's an older woman and it's hard to keep track of somebody who, when you need to take care of yourself yep and also to and josie is seen as a rather sheltered girl um cause she's 24 in the film mm-hmm. for the majority of it so she's seen as like a shut-in for most of the time, but that's mo- not because of her choice. It's her grandmother. So uh, it seems like it's a bit of her grandmother's, her grandmother's, uh, s- like stern. I don't know what was the word. She's overprotective. Overprotective grandmother, but a lot of it is also just. I think Josie was kind of comfortable with that life before she realized there was more beyond yep. the little so, pond she lives in and that there's a bigger sea. Essentially, with Sunio being hired on as a, as a pseudo-caretaker, um, he and Josie are at odds at first, but then Josie kind of starts to question more of what's outside in, of the house and takes Sunio on journeys with her, and he introduces her to a lot of things, and then a lot of shit happens, but they do fall in love with each other. And it's very cute and adorable. Spoilers. Hey, at least I didn't spoil a couple other points yet. Fair enough. Either way, uh, as you've probably heard at the beginning of this video, uh, this is going to video, audio, whatever. This episode. This episode. Um, this is going to have a spoiler warning. We're going to talk about the entirety of the film. And we will try to, for, to make sure that we are not as long as the film. We will probably fail. Also because it's you and me. But mostly you. Because you like to talk. Uh, you like to talk, you too. Like, you like to talk more than I do sometimes, baby. This is true. You go on tangents like it's no fucking tomorrow. But anyway, why don't we dive right into uh, this vast sea of uh, ah. film and characters. And So, as per usual, we will be discussing the um, the film itself, the English dub, including cast, uh, the cast, any, well, no, I won't say any predictions, but that's old school shit. We don't even Man, make predictions anymore. that is very retro and old that school. That is, that is, uh, that's a deep cut for listeners who've been here forever. For old time viewers of this podcast, um, back during the Simuldub era, people would watch the beginning of a seasonal simulcast, make their own predictions for who they thought would get cast in the dub. And, and then, then we see if we're right or not. We, 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 we left that ages ago, though. But anyway, we'll talk about the film, the English dub, including cast uh, and staff, and then our general thoughts and opinions on the film itself. Mm-hmm. So, uh, this is pretty self-explanatory and pretty easy, because we have an ADR director and a writer, and then just like five or six characters. Mm-hmm. So I think from the get-go, why don't we just introduce everybody, and then we'll just kind of have general discussion about thoughts and things like that that's fair that's fine also wanted to uh give you uh high marks on that diving pun because it's like diving into a big ocean with fish and all that much Mm -hmm. like they do in the film that's very clever that's very impressive uh visual um observational comedy i'm very proud of that particular market at least i have better puns than you I still cannot forgive you for the stone pun or the cliff one from Dr. Stone. It's been several years. I got to say. The it fa- has not been several years. It's at least been two or three. The fact that you still hold on to that as a grudge seems a little fishy to me. This is why I have the better puns than you, sir. 
<laughs> God damn it. Uh, anyway, so why don't we dive into the staff, our cast, and we'll just kind of go with it and run with it and just see where the episode takes us. How's that sound? Let's just hope we don't run out of oxygen. God damn it! Stop it! <laughs> I, I love you. I love you too, you motherfucker. Anyway, so t- uh, at the helm of this this wonderful project, we have ADR director Jerry Jewell, uh, who has directed other series and films such as The Gymnastic Samurai, uh, Kamisama Kiss, and Star Blazer Space Battleship Yamato 2199. As for ADR writer for this film, we have Jennifer Brooks, who's wrote one episode of Kuma 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 Bear, and that's it. That That's kind of all I can really find about the stuff that uh, Jennifer mm-hmm. has written for. Now, as for our characters, we have... I'm going to start from the bottom. We have Kana Kishimoto. She is a librarian uh, at the local library that Sunio and Josie uh, meet on Josie's first trip to the library. And she ends up befriending... Um, Kana ends up befriending Josie because they love the same author. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's voiced by Megan Shipman, who is... Then in series and has played characters such as Sakura Adachi in Adachi and Shimomura, Ayoko Yamada in Kageki Shoujo, and Alba Suzukaze in New Game. Next we have Grandma Chizuru Yamamura. She is Josie's grandmother, the overprotective grandmother and all this. She is voiced by Casey Casper. Uh, that's not a name that many people would really ever know about. We actually thought this was Linda Leonard when we first watched the film. Because that yeah, one was not confirmed. At, at the, the time, time, there was a couple of cast members that were not confirmed when we saw this in theaters. Once we got this came out of home video, we finally learned who played Kana and who played Grandma uh, Chizu. Yes. So Casey Casper has voiced characters such as Karina Braun, which is Reiner Braun's mother, mm-hmm. uh, in Attack on Titan. Elizard in A Certain Magical Index. And my... My Ayano in Smiled on the Runway, one runway, which is Grandma to Lee George's character. Mm-hmm. And then an added one, if for those who might have seen Kono Ototomare, Sound of Life, she's also Chiharu Hozaki, which is Hozaki's mother or grandmother? Mother. Mother. Um, if you watch Kono Oto, you know about that one. Either way, let's just say the relationship's a little strained. Just a little one. bit. Uh, as our next character, we have. I'm going to kind of throw them together. So Hayato Matsura and Mai Ninomiya. So both of these characters, they work in the diving shop, which is one of Suneo's part-time jobs. Uh, so they're good friends with Suneo. And Mai specifically, we learn very early on. She doesn't outright say it, but we know very quickly. She has a very big crush on Suneo. So as Hayato Matsura, we have Zeno Robinson, who has voiced characters such as Shuji Hanma in Tokyo Revengers, Tomoki Takizawa in Gymnastic Samurai, and Taiga Kagami in Kuroko's Basketball. And as my Ninomiya, we have Danny Chambers, who was voiced Servil in Kimono Friends, Noah Sugiya in My Dress Up Darling, and Kuroko Hasegawa Hasegawa, thank you, in Smile Down the Runway. And because you threw it in here, uh, I should have probably said this one. She's Chisei Hattori in The Ancient Magus Bride. Mm Mm-hmm. And now our two leads, Sunio Suzukawa and Kumiko Josie uh, Yamamura. So as Sunio, we have Howard Wang, who has voiced characters such as Nakahiro Sakaguchi in Pretty Boy Detective Club, uh, Louis James Moriarty in Moriarty the Patriot, 
and Kakashi Goto in Kakashi Goto. As for Josie, that is voiced, she is voiced by Susie Young, who has voiced characters such as Kaban slash Lucky Beast in Kimono Friends, uh, Yuri Honjo in High Rise Invasion, and I'm going to need help pronouncing that last Vladalina Lina Milize in 86. Thank you. So that's our whole cast of characters and our staff. So do we want to kind of start the conversation with like the directing and the writing? See how our, what our thoughts are on that and how we feel about it? Yeah, I think that's a safe place to okay. start with. So let's kick it off with the directing and writing. So I love the directing and the writing on this film a lot. The writing, I have to commend Jennifer for um, this being a, her first big project, really, in the writing sphere. Especially, it seems like, because I haven't, we did not watch the Japanese, we have not seen it. We don't know if um, if the script is a one-to-one translation with a little bit of localization added in there for an English-speaking audience. But to me, it seems like almost a solid one-for-one translation, because it. this is a very emotional roller coaster of a film. So trying to keep that emotionality in there is very, very important. Um, and, and keeping those, the emotional beats, the comedic beats, the heartwarming moments, it seems like a very difficult task, especially for a brand new writer. And I think Jennifer Brooks handles that very, very well. I think the script is indeed very strong. It does a good job with characterization and it does a good job getting across everybody's personalities, what their deals are. And making them at least pretty fun and lifelike. I think if I was to lob any sort of criticism, Mm -hmm. I would probably say it goes into a little bit of the translation. Okay. How so? Because we didn't watch the Japanese. The phrase caretaker is a little awkward, especially when it's used in emotional, heartfelt scenes. I don't know about that. Because when you when you think about it, Sunio was hired at, primarily as a caretaker. That's how Josie views him, as a caretaker. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the more they get to know each other and their relationship grows, it, it kind of becomes... It ends up becoming a nickname for him eventually by the end of it. So I'd have to disagree... That it doesn't work with the emotional bits. I, I'm not sure how I would really describe it. It just, I guess, it just it feels like to me it's an awkward word in regards to some of the some of the bigger yeah, moments. I don't know. I mean, when you think about it, to kind of counteract that point, really. So we're already diving into this spoiler territory. So Sunio ends up in an accident where he gets hit by a fucking car when he's trying to save Josie, and. Josie, as she's trying to reach him, ends up on the ground in the street, like, calling for him, like, caretaker, caretaker, are you okay? And then out of nowhere, she- She drops Sunio. Correct. So it makes- That's a fair point. That's the one and only time she calls him by his name instead of caretaker. So I feel like in that moment, it actually helps put more weight on the situation because she finally, like... Dropping the cute nickname, and it's like, oh shit, no, this dude right. I, dude I really care for is on death's door. Right. 
Okay. So I think it helps, like, establishing that caretaker pr- primarily is the name that Josie refers to Sunio as makes the emotional weight and impact of when she calls him by his name that more significant. I think that that's at least fair. I'm not sure how, I'd, how I would have done it myself or what would have been a better turn of phrase, but I think it's definitely... There isn't really a better turn of phrase because realistically caretaker is the role that Sunio is playing in Josie's life so there's no real other way to describe that you know what I mean the only way I could really say is I just think it just sounds a little shaky if I I'm not sure how I would say it I'm not it sounded a little odd to me the way it comes up in like big dramatic moments that's the closest I could say to a actual criticism to it I'd actually say uh I'd still say the script itself does a very solid job, especially when it's going to a lot of the storybook-related stuff. That's very cute. There's a lot of dialogue there, but it has the right prose and uh, language, like colorful colorful descriptive language of a child's picture book, especially when uh, Josie writes her own or when Mm -hmm. she's reading The Little Mermaid. I'll definitely give credits where it's due to the uh, direction, actually given to Susie, in regards to uh, when she's reading the picture book, both the first time she's just reading the story of the Little Mermaid to the kids, and once she's written her own story and is much more refined in her delivery. In the first first one, you can tell she is noticeably nervous. Mm -hmm. Her, Her dialogue is stilted she's not really putting particular emphasis on the words it's just yeah she is literally reading the words off the page and she's not really gotten the theatrics mm-hmm. of telling the story oh, in front absolutely. of the crowd she's it's she's put in a very awkward and uncomfortable situation she doesn't know what to do so it, it makes 100 percent sense and then when it regards to writing her own story she's gotten a little more practice she understands at least the concept of presentation of mm-hmm. storytelling of playing the parts of the characters too as well as being the narration versus being the mermaid being the boy of the wings and all that no yeah and especially because she has a strong motivation now at this point, too. And because, emotional connection. Right. Because at this stage in the movie, this is after Sunia's accident. And he's, like, severely injured that he has to go through rehabilitation, all this interesting stuff. But even then, there's a huge possibility that he's never going to really be able to dive again. So that means his dream of going to Mexico might just be, like, dead in the water, so and, to speak. And he kind of just he, gave up. Right. So because of that... Um, my goes to, um, Josie. Josie basically kicks her ass and is like, hey. Literally lights a fire under her ass being like, all right. I Bro, if you're not going for him, he's mine then. I didn't want him to fucking go anywhere anyway. But this, at the same time, Mai also knows that she's he- put, She's putting on an act to oh, try yeah. and, and get Mai, her. Mai 100% knows at this point that Sunio is not hers. He, he belongs to Josie because he know she knows that- Sunio is in love with Josie. He just himself doesn't probably realize it or think of that thing of himself. But anyway, it basically, that interaction motivates Josie to be like, I'm going to motivate him. So she goes back to art because she got rid of it after her grandma passed away. Side note, grandma passes away. Man, we are starting all this early on. There's yeah. so much. There's, there's so a lot much to go into it. But grandma passes away and she has to become more of an adult and help and like take care of herself now. So she gets rid of all of her art and she gives up on her dream of like making art her career. 
So she takes it up again after Maya lights a fire under her ass and creates this story. And she coerces, um... Kana. Uh... Hayato. Oh, right. I, I thought you meant, so, like, help with the story. Yeah, she Kana li- helps her with the story, but she but Josie also gets Hayato to help get Get studio. the surprise plan. Yes. Which... Yeah, I want to go more into some of these other characters in a bit. There's the, so much. The, the, so the main good. thing I wanted to at least give props to both the writing and yeah. the directing front was the reading of the storybooks mm. at the beginning and the end. Because they, you can tell one is less refined and it feels very intentionally so. Absolutely. And another is a lot more flourished, practiced, and yep, performed. Absolutely. absolutely. It's- and I think that's to me, is like the most notable strength of the direction and writing in this particular dub oh for sure like it all comes down to both on the writing and directing front which leads into the performances um those emotional highs and lows and those beats that are hit moment for moment i think are just very very strong in this film this film this film is doing the auteur uh auteur film director with a cigarette being like I want you to feel, feel emotions. Oh, it's an, emo- it's an emotional freight fucking train that hits you in the face. No, it- it's more of a crashing car in this scenario, actually. Oh, god damn it. I was going to make a joke about emotional truck coon coming into Isekai your ass, but... That almost happened. That that's almost a- happened. <laughs> like, that's less, that's less fair news where it's like, hey, guess what? This dude did get hit by a car. He yeah. almost died. He almost died. That was traumatic for him, probably. <laughs> yeah. It was very traumatic, but anyway, I, I think directing and writing front is hundred percent solid. Outside my little nitpicks with mm-hmm. the with the term caretaker, I do think the directing and writing are still very solid, and it's a very strong production all around. I'm a sap. I cried. You did. I cried. I think probably both times I watched this movie. I would. I I, I remembered how emotional I got when we were watching it a little earlier today, and I'm like. Bitch, I probably fucking cried like when we were in theaters too, knowing my stupid ass. <laughs> it's very possible. Look, I'm not going to pretend I'm not, and I don't get emotional towards movies too. I do. And I think the emotional freight train started shortly after Grandma passed, and then it just kept going and going and going, and actually, I was just like, oh. On that, would you want to actually start with Granny? We could. Yeah. Let's talk about Casey. Um, she's got a very interesting tone of voice. So, w- way I can describe... Yeah. How do I describe it? It's like... We originally thought it was Linda Leonard again. I, but point is... That was just because we had no frame of reference. We had no frame of reference. Because it's literally, fuck, this is familiar, but I don't know why we it's familiar. We don't know how, where to place it, and then you look and it's like, oh, fuck, now I know where to place it. See, now that I could actually look up who was in this cast, I realized the exact voice I've heard this... She's the shitty mom from Kona Ototomare. Yeah. Which, that... I actually hear, um, Grandma and Smile Down the Runway. That's the one I hear. Both are, both are shows we're familiar with. The point right. is, we needed a frame of reference. And mm. now that I hear it, I think the way I can describe Grandma Chizu is that she herself is... I would say she is overprotective, in a sense, but I can tell she is not mean... She is not cruel. Yeah. She is caring. Actually, I, I, before we started this, I actually decided to look a little bit into the uh, special features of the director uh, talking with a uh, fil- like an animation critic 
about some of the things with the film. And okay. one of the things he actually had the most trouble with was trying to adapt the uh, concept of the grandmother keeping like Josie inside. Cause it's, right. a, cause it's an older story back in those days. They're like, it's easier to justify why somebody would kind of stay at home all day, not really want to go out, but it's a much more, uh, it's a much more vibrant world, more interactive, connected world. And well, the story isn't that old. It was originally published in 1984. Okay, but at least before, it was before the era of, like, social social media's accessible travel and all that jazz. Right. The, but yeah, I think he's saying the thing he struggled the most with was trying to make sure that Grandma Chizu came off not as, like, loving and caring, but not abusive in the sense of that's the key part is not making grandma abusive like she is not she is not a disney princess locked up in a castle by the evil stepmother no this is a woman who knows that this is a girl who's been kind of like living a sheltered protected life and she is kept she like josie herself has kind of made peace with her sheltered secluded life in and of itself yeah but grandma kind of enables that i think that's what it is it's not that she is mean or abusive to josie is that she just kind of enables it and then once she starts blossoming once she gets her own fins and starts swimming out of it the initial character point for grandma chizaru and um what really instantly solidifies um casey's performance is when suneo and runs into josie for the first time so to kind of set the scene suneo's walking home from work uh he's gonna go have dinner at his apartment stuff like that but coming all of a sudden he's near the bottom of a hill and here comes josie in her wheelchair like full force literally flies at him right flies out of the wheelchair suneo catches her grandma catches up because they were out for a night walk, a nightly stroll. One of the first things that Grandma Chizuru tells Suneo, just, uh, just, um, just, it's, it's, you could consider it a kind of a throwaway line, but I think it establishes Chizuru's character instantly. Yeah. The fact that she says that somebody pushed Josie, and that's why the wheelchair went down the hill as fast as it, as it did. Mm. We don't know if it's by accident. We don't know if it's by purpose. In Grandma's head, it might have been in by purpose. Okay. So I think that helps establish the overprotective nature. Ooh, I didn't even think of that, actually. So it's basically, like, literally just somebody just bumped into just a it, stationary wheelchair by happenstance. It could be as simple as that. And but it, the Grandma assumed that it was intentionally slight trying to bully this poor girl. Yes. Um. So... Because of that, it instantly establishes Grandma Chizuru, but it also instantly establishes Casey's performance. Because she ha- because Grandma Chizuru can be re- relatively strict, um, but she she wants what's best for Josie. But she also one of the things that remember she says to Josie, it's this saying that like the world is full of like terrible people. Basically, it's something basically like, like that. the world is full of full of dangerous beasts or something like that. Something like that. And, um, which kind of leads into the, um, alliteration of the tiger in the movie's title and the symbolism of the tiger in the zoo, to the tiger being this vast world and other people. The scary things that she has to face head right. on. Right. So, because of that, Chizuru and Casey's performance is very overprotective, strict, but, like, the, but strict, but for a purpose, 
but the more Sunio interacts with Josie and the more that Josie finally gets a chance to like explore thanks to it because Grandma Chizuru Chizu. Ch- Grandma Chizu she straight up knows when they start sneaking I, out during nap time. I, I think she's not an idiot. I think that's the thing I appreciated is that they're basically like, my grandma doesn't want us to go out. She takes a, a na- deep takes nap, a nap from, every one, day to from one to three. We could sneak out then. Right. And then she's talking to like the social worker or something. It's like, oh, she thinks she's being slick. I know she's sneaking out every day. Yep. It's actually kind of fast. It's kind of lovely to see how much she's changed right. and how much she's growing her wigs. And then like one of my favorite scenes is like one of the last scenes with Grandma Chizu is she sees her dolling herself up. To look nicer yep. for Sunio, and she's just there yucking it up, and she's like, "Oh my god, my girl, my girl's fallen head over heels." I'm so happy. No, yeah, it was funny because the last thing Sunio comes over to get Josie, and uh, Josie straight up just decides, "Yep, we're ready to go. Let's go." And she's just like, "Grandma's like, excuse me." <laughs> she's like, "Yeah, that's fine, right, Grandma?" And they just leave. No, don't ask for permission. Don't ask for nothing. She's being a rebellious. She's going off in a world with the and guy she likes. And all you see is Grandma Chizu in the hallway, in the entryway of the house, just laughing because she's just so delighted by this. Um, unfortunately, that's the last scene with Grandma Chizu, and then we she passes away. But um, that, you could call that the last laugh she had. Oh my god! God damn it! But no, Casey's performance of Grandma Chizu, it's the right amount of overprotectiveness that doesn't make it come off as m- what you were saying about the um, director in Japan. Not wanting to come off as abusive. Correct. So She did threaten to cut off his nuts, though. <sighs> like, she, like, she basically just grabbed she his him, nuts. Grabbed him by the dick. And I was like, I will cut this off if you fuck me again. I'm like, Whoa. Jesus, Granny! You said when we were watching this earlier, now I know where Josie gets it from. Yeah, because, like, she starts, Josie starts the movie kind of as, like, the, uh, aggressive tsundere, like, you're an asshole, you're a pervert, baka, baba baka, and then, and then it's like, oh, she grab grandma grabs him by the nuts, it's like, oh, that's where she gets it from. But, um, no, I think, like, I want, (laughs) I, 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 like... I really enjoyed Casey because it's the right amount of overprotectiveness without being that abuse, having that abusive nature to it because she wants what's best for Josie and she wants what's best for Josie, but she also knows the world is a dangerous place and even more so for somebody for, who's for disabled. someone with a disability as Josie does. So her see like the developing trust between Josie and Suneo is very great and grandma Chizu sees that. 100 percent that and she's finally able to like kind of let go granted she lets go in the worst way possible by up and dying but hey she let's put it like this she stuck around long enough knowing that her girl was gonna be okay yeah pretty much that's 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 kind of the way i'm i'm reading into it is that she she realized in that sort of moment she's gonna be okay yeah there's, she's gonna deal with a lot of struggles, but she, at the end of the day, she's she's gonna got be the able strength and it. the conviction to actually face it. Yep, which she honestly did not have before. Yeah, so I really enjoyed Casey's performance as Grandma Chizu. Like it was, it, it was. It's like it was strict and stern, strict and firm, but caring, strict and firm, but has a has a slight tenderness to it mm-hmm. because you of the motive of her motivations. 
So I think it works very, very well. She, honestly, she's a lady who's got stories. This is like an it's like a eighty year old woman where it's like I would down some beers with you, and I would want to hear about how things were in the olden days. Listen, the reason why Suneo gets hired in the first place is because she wants to go play pachinko. She's like, okay, that's why I can't leave. <laughs> she's my- like, I I can't leave her by herself, but I need a breather. Hey, 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 college kid. Can you take care of my granddaughter while I go play pachinko with the ladies on a Tuesday afternoon? It's probably pachinko, but I'd like to imagine she's got like a crazy nightlife where she just like does a bunch of wild shit at Kabuki show. She said it was pachinko. She got back one day and she yeah, no. said she lost a lot of money at pachinko. Uh, yes, I find it funny she does the little like knob thing where it's like, would anybody who didn't know about pachinko understand the little knob thing? Would somebody think she's just got like a gentleman caller or something if they didn't know? Or an alcoholism problem, alcoholic problem. <laughs> Either way, but yeah, it was pachinko. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm glad she had a nice nightlife or something. Either way, <laughs> uh, I, I really liked Casey's particular performance. Yeah. I thought it was um, very interesting and it's stuck out to me in this particular feature yeah do you want to do we want to speaking of like stories and stuff like that the grandma has Mm -hmm. do you want to take a trip to the library next you want to talk about megan shipman and kana a little bit here this is a very cute library girl it is very soft like it's a super soft megan super soft i'm not used to this she's she's got the whole mary in the librarian thing going for her and i think that's very mary uh, in the librarian you've not seen the sounds of music in the shows uh it's been a long ass time uh, anyways I'm, don't, don't worry about it um anyways i the point is she's very soft and very cute little bookworm it's super soft and of course we didn't know because at the time when we went to see the film in theaters this she, was she was not credited she was not credited and of course the english credits weren't even a thing at that time yeah it was just all the japanese yeah it was uh, still the japanese uh, the translations weren't there so <laughs> friggin we didn't know and megan shipman herself did not come forward saying she was in the film but it was very interesting because i did not know that was megan shipman at all I, I, it is super soft spoken i can kind of hear it now but that's right, only with the context that i am aware of who you can hear it now know. but at the time it's like this is even even hearing it again though like it is so gentle so soft spoken because with Megan Shimon, I'm at least used to either spunky kid, spunky girls like Alba in a new game, or like Super Moe, or like a little bit like I don't, I hate using calling it ditzy for every spring and fucking Astra Lost in Space. Basically, okay, you literally could have used Space Cadet. She is literally a Space Cadet, Stephanie. That opportunity was staring you right in the face. It was a slam dunk, and you missed that off the rebound. I'm so disappointed in you. (sighs) I never said I was the best at puns. You'll learn. Don't worry. We'll get through this. We're having a cold spout with puns. It's okay. I'm here to support you in your time of need. We will get these puns off the ground and into the stratosphere because we're still on Oster Lost in Space, baby. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know he took me with, he took my hands, both my hands. The mic is in between us. And now I'm on, all I'm thinking is, fuck, are we going to have a seance right now? <laughs> 
That's all I'm thinking right now. Oh my god. Because the mic is in between us. Like we have a fucking summoning circle happening right now. Oh, That's all I can think oh, of. Oh great divine creatures from god beyond. Damn it, no. Grant, my <laughs> dear Stephanie, of the power Let of go good of puns. <laughs> listen, I meant listen, if we could use a summoning circle to summon a, a fucking Pokemon and Legends Arceus. Uh, hey, I manifested an Alpha Gengar on stream yesterday. I'm fucking good. She did that. I was very proud of her. <laughs> I showed him the clip earlier. He's like, the fuck? I manifested an Alpha Gengar and Arceus. Hell yeah. Anyway, points, point being. Anyways, uh, <laughs> we should lower our volume a little and get back to the library. Says the loud mouth. What? I'm loud? Yes. Ash, did you know? Ash is asleep on the tree. <laughs> His cat tree. He Did you know all shit. this time and not tell me? He's just used to you and your loud mouth, babe. <laughs> I mean, so are you. <sighs> to the point where I still have to yell at you to quiet the fuck down. Anyway. Love you. Megan Shipman is Kana. No, this is a very, this is a, this is a very, very soft, soft Megan Shipman. A hundred percent. This is the tone of voice that I've never seen from her before. And it's a very welcome change of pace. And it gives her a bit more versatility because she's used to playing much more spunky, um, energetic characters like an Alba, like a Aries Spring, like a Anya from Spy Family. Even though that's a little gremlin child, but we love Anya in this household. I was going to um, say like Maple or Labrava too, if you want something else. to Labrava, yes, I can see that. And Maple as well, yeah. No, yeah, you're right. It's very, it's a very different character type for Megan, and it works very, very well. And she also ends up being this fun, this very sweet, emotional, like, fr- like having this friendship with Josie. I, I, I think I like of, that dynamic a lot. One of the, one of the other fun things I got from looking at the little behind the scenes stuff is that this was just a story that was about the that was just about Sunio and Josie, and a lot of the additional characters were additions to the film and he actually they actually said that if this was just about like if this was just about a sad girl finding happiness through love or something that wouldn't really be that fulfilling or complete of a character story oh no yeah The, the important thing is that like she has a relationship and a friendship outside of just her romance with Sunio, and that's what oh, she yeah. finds in Kana. It, Somebody who she can bond with and mm-hmm. interact with on her own terms. This sheltered girl who doesn't really know the ways of the world, and she kind of finds a fellow book dork to bond over and support her, in her t- like when she's trying to find her independence. And I actually think that's kind of lovely. Yeah, honestly. It's, it's a fun dynamic that Megan and Susie, who's Josie, um, get to play off of each other and it's just a fun little little friendship and it's it kind of helps push forward the narrative of Josie and her story and her finally getting the chance to do all these things that she couldn't because she was so sheltered and she was stuck being inside so she actually got to have a friend mm-hmm. basically her very first friend uh, outside of a caretaker got, that got hired out of nowhere and the cat I mean? Don't forget the, the cat. And the cat. The cat, I realize now on a The sec- cat is not a friend. The cat is a child. The cat is Josie and Sunio's child. 
You cannot tell me I'm wrong. Yes, but I... Sunio is the stepdad in this relationship. See, see, I was thinking I was getting a little Freudian because I thought the cat literally was Josie, or at least Josie's bud budding relationship with Sunio. Because liter <laughs> literally starts out hissing him out. Yeah. Before then, warming then, up, letting him pet him. Feed. And Josie does have that dialogue the first time we're dealing with the cat. It's basically like, are you the cat or are you, are you? Are you or is it you or are you talking? Are, she doesn't like, he doesn't like you stepping into his territory unannounced like you own the place. It's like, are you, are you talking about yourself or the or cat? Or the cat. Clearly basically, the, it's clearly the cat when in actuality yes yes <laughs> but yes the cat once the cat eventually warms up to sunio and starts yeah, letting right. him pet him and take care of him it's like that's a sign of the relationship budget budding oh, yeah, a lot closer absolutely but um film well, symbolism woo! it's great yeah yeah it's very cute but uh, no um megan's good megan shipman as kana if it establishes another relationship for josie and I think it's very, very well done and just so sweet and adorable. And I love it. Um, how about, do you want to move on to um, our two dive shot folks? I want to start with the good boy fuck boy. <laughs> fuck boy Hayato. I love fuck boy Hayato. <laughs> He's a good lad. He's uh, actually he's, a good he's lad. He's actually a good dude. He 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 comes off as a womanizer, sure. I not to an extreme ex to an extreme extent, which is fantastic. Because if it went to that like far end of it, he, it wouldn't be as believable. He's not really a player. He's no. not really a womanizer. He just wants he's, a girlfriend. He's more of how do I describe it? He is the best friend character. He is the he's the jokester. Yeah. He's the kind of plus one you bring to everywhere. Yeah. He's kind of he's kind of all over the place. He's goofy, but yeah. the reality is he's loyal to a T. Yes, and he is not afraid to kick your ass when you need your ass kicked. Oh, and that's, yeah. That's the big thing for me about Hayato is that he is kind of like the jokester, the prankster. Mm -hmm. He's going to tease Mai a lot about his obvious crush on him or something like that. Right. He's going to talk about how he wants all these girls yeah. to lavish him in praise and attention, how he wants to raise. But the reality is he really gives a shit about Sunio. He really yeah. gives a shit about Mai and he really wants his friends to be happy yep. and to be do well and i think the scene that really sold it for me is, is it when he is it when sunio's in the hospital it's when sunio's in the and hospital he's trying to take him out he, for the night and he gets roped into um story time in the library which i which i i wasn't sure what she meant when she said hey can i borrow your face for a second i thought that meant he was going to be the model reference for the character i in thought the so book. too it might have still been the case but i basically was just like oh uh I need an extra pair of hands for my master plan. Uh, can you help me, bro? And she's and he's like, yeah, no problem. No, yeah. But I, I, I think because yeah. because at that point, like both Hayato and Mai know that Sunio's given up on his dream. So Hayato is a fucking bro and is going to help try and like reinvigorate him. He, he's basically like, hey, I'm gonna take you out because you need to get out, get some fresh air. And he's basically lashing out, being depressed and yep. mopey. And he's like, Hayato is like. You forget I saved your ass when you ran out of oxygen that one time. I think you owe me one. Like, he's dead serious. You don't see him in the face when he's his back is turned to Zuno. Because that's what I would describe is that Zeno's got this very 
casual, this is the dude you want to go out to parties and karaoke with. But then in that moment, he gets real with you for a second and drops the voice down to a very stern, serious. Oh, absolutely. Don't you dare stay in this fucking bed, my man. Don't you dare throw your life away. You're coming with me. Right, yeah. And it was like, wow. Like, that's the, I think that's the one moment for Hayato where Xeno really got to, like, bring more dramatic chops to it. It's a small moment, but it has such a huge impact. It's like a nice little driving force to it, which I genuinely appreciated. And I think Xeno, for, like, a relatively small part, really shines a pretty good light on it. I think Xeno... Zeno is very fun as Hayato. Oh, I love it. It's so funny. It's very dorky, and he, he just wants a girlfriend. But yeah, he 100% cares about his friends. He wants to make sure that they're happy and everything. And he is one of those supportive forces. Oh my god. For, he, oh my god, he's Suneo. fucking Sunohara. He's fucking Sunohara from Clannad. I know you don't understand don't what understand that means, that. but that means a lot to me. Because Sunohara was kind of the player gets his ass kicked and all mm-hmm. that but when he gets real with uh o- when he gets real with Okazaki when shit gets real he is not afraid to tell him that you're full of shit and you need to listen to me right now and it's oh man that's why for I the like... folks who have seen Clonad that probably which does not include me you'll understand for the folks like me who have not seen Clonad that's just went over your fucking head but I'll 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 um I'll agree with I'll I'll agree with you on the assumption that you know what you're talking about. <laughs> Clannad was literally one of, like, the ma- important anime that, I that like, shaped me as, like, an anime fan. I will say I know what I'm talking about. Okay. All right. I, I, I trust you. I believe you. Um, moving on to Danny Chambers as Mai. So, oh, my God. Mai has some sass and spunk to her, and she's not, she, she's not shy about her feelings. She holds them back as she tell because she tells Josie. No, it's not Josie. She told Sunio. So Mai is the personification of the phrase "always the bridesmaid, never, never the, the bride. bride." Yes, a hundred percent. And my my the scene I think that really hits me the most and for Danny Chambers' performance. Um, also, I was a sap for like two thirds of the fucking movie or at least half um, was when she goes to visit Sunio at the hospital. This is after he first goes through his accident and he's still recovering. Not, this is right before he starts rehab. She basically sees, she, she, she basically sees he's tossed out his like Spanish translation book like, in the trash, as in giving up on that dream. Also, don't forget, though, she also comes, she and Hayato also come in at an earlier point after his professor comes in. Oh, yeah. That's his, his, to tell him they're, that they're moving on with a different student for the scholarship Just program. focus on getting better. And Correct. it's kind of like, uh, almost like a defeatist. Right. So, my take, Sunio out um, in his wheelchair just to roam the hospital grounds a little bit. And... She finally confesses to him. That is a very awkward confession, by the way. It's a very awkward confession, but I think it's very poignant. Because at this point, we already know that Mai does not have a shot in hell with Sunio, and she also knows that. Because she knows that Sunio is in love with Josie. He just doesn't realize it himself yet. And... Because of that, I think it just hits this very big emotional point for Danny's performance, too, where, like you said, 
always the bridesmaid, never the bride. That's the that's the character like direction that Mai kind of ends up in. So she's going to help Sunio because she loves him so much, but she knows he's never going to be hers. He she knows she's not going to be the one to fix him. Yep, it's she's not going to be able to help him. At this point, it's Josie is the only option that he has in order to like snap him out of this depressive state. And so I think it was her conversation with Josie after that scene. Where Mai is like, I was going to, I wasn't going to hold him back from his dream. I was going to, I was going to take this to the grave of me until he, or until he got back from studying abroad. Because I don't want to be selfish. But at the same time. He's got nothing left to lose anymore. He's got nothing left to lose. If you're not going after him, I'm going to take him for myself. Because I never wanted him to leave in the first place. We know that's a big fucking lie. After the fact. Oh yeah, she's lying she's through She's just her. riling up Josie to do something about it. It, it basically, it seemed like a sort of unfair rivalry at yep. first. But then, like, the la- latter half basically turns it into a rivalry to better the other person. To, yeah. s- to nut up or shut up, basically. Basically. And, th- again, that's what fires up Josie in order to write that picture book. And create that picture book with the story to help Sunio get out of his funk. And I just, I'm just also going to say, I love Mai and Josie's relationship as strained and as bitter as it can be. That one moment where he's in the middle of rehab and he's finally able to like walk across the whole bars by himself without help from his, um therapist and fucking and they have like a moment of like this is also the first time that mai is visiting him during rehab because it's only just been josie and hayato and then hayato sees her lurking in the corner like get over here you bruh and then sunio successfully gets across and then fucking josie and mai just like high five each other and then they realize what they did oh no we like each other oh no and then puff puff their (laughs) cheeks out and turn away it's like haha you care about each other you fucking hayato's just like did i miss something (laughs) he's dumb but he means so well danny i think is a fun a, a fun contrast in terms of um, personality. She's also playing a character. To Josie. She's also playing a college aged character, which is actually like right. definitely a departure from her typical uh, go to casting. No, yeah, which is usually younger girls or teens. Which is like she's got this level of like, I'd almost say she's got cute girl next door energy, is what That's I That's the vibe. Girl next door energy. That is 100% the vibe that I get from my. And I think Danny absolutely conveys that across where she's this very, like, sweet and, and kind lady, but she kind of knows that she doesn't have a chance in hell. And oh, yeah. She's it's sort of she's sort of dealing with that grief, but I feel like the fact that she at least got it out means she can sort of deal with it. Yeah. Now, when she gets it out, the only thing she cares about after that is Sunio... To get better. Get, ...getting better and him just not giving up on what he wants in his life, you know? Hence, her going to Josie and basically rallying her ass up. So no idea if Hi- her and Hayato have any chemistry, but they've at least got a very good support. They have a fun dynamic. They've got a good supportive relationship where he's like, ah, oh, where she's just like, he's kind of tell you can tell, wow, you're really good at putting on an act. It's like, shut up, I know what I'm doing. It's like, all right, let's 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 go out get some food. Your treat. What? <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, I love you, Hayato. Hayato's a doofus. But yeah, no, Danny's got a very interesting uh, delivery in her voice. Yeah. Which is, 
I'll say this. The one thing I will say, the, the one flaw with this being a movie that is like a little over 90 minutes long is that mm-hmm. you can't develop some things. I would definitely say her and like my and uh, Hayato, Hayato as, and their relationship to Sunito is probably one of the more underdeveloped parts. Which I get why the yeah. the story's more the, the about the story is about to be is Sun- supposed to be Sunio and Jose. But I I appreciate the fact that their inclusion does mm-hmm. like broaden the scope of their relationships outside of just each other and their friendships yeah. and relationships outside of that, which I appreciate. It adds it adds more character depth and background information for Sunio, which is great. And it also adds a bit more character motivation to Josie during the latter half of the film after the accident. So it's a very it's a very good addition to the film itself. Um, and but, it, I, I fucking but yeah, Zeno and Danny are just delights. Yeah, I definitely think Danny's got some very strong emotional heartbreak vocal deliveries, and for sure, I was pretty impressed with. Uh, her kind of like yelling at the door saying, I know a hundred things about him. What do you got? And it's like, I, I, she's clearly putting on an act, but you can tell the tears are real, which I applaud Danny for that in particular. Danny and Zeno, fantastic. If you want to talk about emotional though. Here's what I was going to ask. Which of these two did you want to tackle first? Honestly, we may as well just put them together. Okay. Because because the relationship of Sunio and Josie are at the center of this, it's very hard to talk about one without the other, to be All honest right. with you. So, here's what I'm going to say in regards to the relationship of Josie and Sunio in this movie in particular, especially a little bit with Mai thrown in the mix, too. Okay. This is my uh, elevator pitch for somebody to, who has not seen this show and has seen another show. Okay. Hello, viewer. If you have not seen the movie Josie, the Tiger, and the Fish, I'm very sorry we have spoiled most of this movie. You are a fool and a moron. Anyways, thanks for tuning in. Uh, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. We love you. I'm losing the plot here. Let me. Yes, you are. So, yes. What's your elevator pitch, babe? Do you like Toradora? I haven't watched Toradora, Andrew. Okay, you are not who I'm talking to. I'm talking to you, guy who has sat through half of this episode where we spoiled a whole movie and is curious whether or not you would like this movie. Listen, you knew what you were going into when you started this episode. It's in the beginning. It's your own fault at this point. But anyway, I digress. Continue. Do you like Toradora? You're probably going to like this. Do you like Taiga? You're probably going to like this. Do you not care for Toradora, and do you not care for Taiga? You're probably going to have a harder time stomaching this story. Okay. I would say Josie, a.k.a. Kumiko, is very reminiscent in the beginning to the early stages of Taiga Isaka from the anime Toradora. Okay. Where she is very... Sherry much a tiny girl who's got a bit of a chip on her shoulder, mm-hmm. kind kind of rough around the edges, is willing to label insults or call somebody an idiot. Okay. Or in this case, she's going to call the guy who saved her from eating shit on the pavement a, a pervert. giant pervert yep. and then bite him like a stray cat. Oh, back to the cat thing. <laughs> yep. Um... And then eventually gradually warm up mm-hmm. to him, find some common ground, find a relationship, yep. and then grow into that in and of itself. Yep. I would absolutely say that she is, like Josie in particular, 
she is definitely one of the movie's biggest strengths. Yes. Or its weaknesses, depending on if you can vibe with this kind of character. Absolutely, I can agree with that. If you think Josie is a bitch, if you think Josie is mean and rude, and you think she's an asshole, this movie falls apart on its face. If she's unlikable to you, she's an unlikable character type to you. If she is a character type you do not like, you do not enjoy, this movie falls the fuck apart for you. Like, okay. And I don't think it's going to be salvaged. It's it's not impossible, but it's let's just at least say it is a bigger pill to swallow otherwise. Fuck it, we're already here. I guess let's talk about Susie. Um, I, I was just like, we may as well talk about the two of them together as much as possible. We're going so. to talk about the two of them together, but I guess I'm leaning... I'm leaning... You're leaning more into Susie territory right just now. Just Susie and Josie in particular. Okay. Because a lot of this movie is about how this sheltered girl who lashes out at everything and anything around her effectively has to become an independent woman in the face of a society that's probably not going to be kind and caring to a person like her. Right. And I think that's something on my rewatch I think I appreciated a lot more. Oh, 100%. Is seeing how much Josie grows as a person and has to grow as a person, not only to survive on her own because uh, grandma's no longer with her, but because she does not want to hold back Sunio from reaching his dreams. Yes, that ends up being an interesting side plot. I I think that was something I thought it was going to be more of like a, you you didn't tell, that's what I thought it was going to be the first time when it's like he didn't tell her about that. I thought it was going to be like a, you lied to me, how dare you go away, I need you, I love you. And the reality is, no, that's not what they do with the story at all. The fact is, she wants him to be happy. Right. She wants him to achieve the the dreams because she knows the fact that he has two feet firmly planted on the ground means he can go anywhere he wants to, and she cannot, and she does not want. She thinks to- that she's holding him back, and it becomes a very poignant. It's it's a very poignant moment where. Before Maya lets it slip that Sunio is actually leaving, like months from that point, she tells Sunio herself, "Hey, I'm gonna try being an artist. I want to give it a try." So, and Sunio becomes so encouraging of her dream, and because Josie knows what Sunio's dream is she's found a dream of her own that she wants to strive for but but because she knows how important Sunio's dream is to him she doesn't want to hold him back so she's basically like i'm just i'm gonna put this on the back burner mad if anything she gets mad that mai has to be the one to tell her that and not Sunio. Mm -hmm. but then she's just kind of like I need to be realistic. This mm-hmm. I can't support myself by yep. drawing pictures. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to be yep. responsible adult. And my dream doesn't matter because I can't reach what you can. Right. Because you can reach yes. what I can't. Yep. And then there's that re- revelation when, you know, the, the shoe is on the other foot. Oh, yeah. Where he is literally brought down to her level. Absolutely. He sees the world the way she sees. He can no longer easily reach the things he could always reach. Yes. And he feels defeated. He feels miserable. He, he feels f- the exact same things that Josie does. 
he sees it through her eyes. Yep. And he understands and he gives up. Mm-hmm. And it feels actually kind of encouraging that she, who that has she's lived- she's the one that pulls him out of it. That she has lived this way her whole life. She has lived this way her whole life. But just because you are in this position doesn't mean you should give up on right. what you want. Even if it's scary, even if uncertain, you need to put in the work to make things right. Because right before the accident, Sunio's accident- Josie had, like you said, she had given up on trying to be an artist. She's just going to get an office job instead just to support herself. So she's given up on her dream because that's something, like you said, that's out of her reach. But after Sunio being brought down essentially as, again, as you said, to her level, and like the depression sits in and defeatist attitude sits in, and Mai goes to confront Josie about it, Josie's like, I don't want to see him give up on his dream. I don't want him to suffer that much. Hence what motivates her and drives her to write that story for him. To try and pull him out of it. And to give him that motivation to try again. That it's still possible to achieve it. And in its own way. Her writing the story. And her motivating Sunio. Motivates herself. That by the end of the movie. She decides, I'm going to go work as an illustrator for children's books. Or, or I think she decides, whatever my dream is, like, I, I'm, even if it's, it takes me five years or a hundred or whatever, I'm going to see this through to the end. Again, she decides to be an illustrator for yeah, children's yeah, yeah, books. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, I just added what she said with that extra steps. I get what you're saying. Yeah. But the, the dynamic between Howard and Susie is just like... <laughs> I love it so much. It's very sweet. It's very heartwarming. It has its moments of comedic timing that are just fantastic. And this is, again, the core of this film. And if that relationship wasn't, like, genuine or realistic... It wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. And so I think the relationship and the dynamic that Howard and Susie create, essentially together, in this film is just phenomenal. Howard is a very good little aquatic dork. He's a dork. He he is a good boy. He Sunio's is somebody who works way too hard, mm. needs to learn to take a nap. He's doing like three part-time jobs oh, in yeah. school, trying to make money. Yep. Just because he wanted- He wants to study abroad. Because he wants to achieve his dream. Because this one fish he found when, when he was a kid only really exists in Mexico. And he's always wanted to see the, a school of them swim together. I'm having a bit of a eureka moment. Uh-oh, what now? What now? He spends the entirety of the movie swimming in... He's literally swimming with every single fish in the sea. But there's only one fish for him. That analogy is lost on me. It's very silly. Yeah. Literally anytime anyone breaks up with anybody, they're like, "Okay, champ. There's don't worry about it. There's other fish in the sea." And then he wants one he wants one fish in particular. Now that you've explained it. Uh, you did it under- I hate it even more. <sighs> you didn't understand the phrase there's other fish in the sea? I didn't think about it. Actually, when you said that, I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Literally swims with other fish. Anyways. I I mean, so is Josie. She's had five boyfriends at once. One time. (laughs) 
<laughs> so she says. <laughs> I mean, damn girl, fucking good for you. But no, it's Howard Asunio is <laughs> is very sweet. It's also very gentle. It's uh, uh, like a uh, uh, um abnormal. That's what it is abnormally patient. Simeo is extremely fucking patient with Josie, especially in the beginning. I mean, at the with start, all the shit that she makes him do. Even if he's getting paid, there's a level of there's like, a limit. It's I, bordering I need, on masochistic. I need you to count all of the planks in the floor. Excuse me. I need you to find ten four leaf clothes for me. Fuck what? And, and, he, and he does it. He's getting paid, so he's like, yeah. whatever, it's fine. But you're also a little bit of a masochist. Yeah, whatever. But yeah, I think Howard's definitely like this very good, good, cute boy. Mm -hmm. But it's also fun watching him kind of snap back a little bit when he's drunk or dealing with all that. He's just like, I don't know if I can deal with this. What is with her fucking problem? How am I going to get back at her for this And then kind of finding common ground and she's like, oh, she actually wants to see the world. He wants to understand her and... A big moment when he finally understands her is when he takes her to the to the, the beach ocean for the first time, where she sees her literally like this kind of like cool, suave, mysterious girl who's got a bit of an attitude problem. She's like a child. Vulnerable. She's like a child because she's just she, curious. She, it, it's not even it's curiosity, but it's almost like vulnerability because she is literally crawling through the sand and dirt because she she wants to know what the ocean tastes like. That that's why. So he just kind of is like, okay, picks her up, takes her over to the water, and then they're just flashing around in the, in the yeah. And it's a very beautiful scene. I think it's like very you dealt with the colors and like the composition on that was very. Oh, pretty. it's very beautiful. And yeah, I think, and I'd also give props to Howard in regards to uh, when he hits the low point, the second half of the film, yeah, where he's kind of like he's because he he doesn't really lash. He's not really mean. He's this, like, very cool as a cucumber guy. Oh, yeah. He's able to handle anything that's thrown his way. Again, abnormally patient. Abnormally patient. Like, he's willing to do what he wants to get what he wants. Mm -hmm. But when the thing he wants is so out of reach, he he regresses into himself and just... He shuts down. He shuts down and he lashes out at everybody. He's Josie at the beginning of the movie. That's the point, yeah. Oh my god, he really is just that Josie is at the beginning of the movie. Point. That's exactly what they're illustrating, yeah. Yep, that's the exact point that they made with that. Mm. Which makes it hit even more. Because it's like, suddenly he has, he relates to Josie's struggle. He understands what she was like in his in this position. Because she's lived it her whole life. Yep, he understands exactly what she's going through. 100%. And again, it makes her words right before the accident all the more, like, poignant. 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 Where she's saying, like, I'm, I, 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 this stuff is out of my reach. I can't do this like you can. I'm not going to hold you back. And I'm just going to just take care of myself from now on and and just get an office job because this is far out of my reach. That's the whole point. It's taking him and putting him on her level. So it's, it's a very interesting and poignant moment. And it shows a different side for Sunio. And a different experience that he has to go through. And Howard's performance of it being on that same level as Josie is just kind of heart-wrenching. 
in a way because he's just is it's it's a defeatist attitude really mm-hmm. and he it comes across very very well um in in that half of the film can i just say though yeah the highlight of the entire film for me it's funny how you were talking about josie at the start of this conversation and how you're either going to love josie's character or hate josie's character i love josie's character and i am like absolutely floored with how susie portrayed her like absolutely floored susie is i think the big emotional center of this film because of all the struggles that Josie goes through, all of the things that she has to deal with, both with her own disability and her being sheltered and learning these new experiences and getting to know these things for the first time, it has an, a huge emotional weight and an emotional impact. And it just comes across so naturally and casually for her. And, by God, it's such a tour de force of a performance, and it's just an emotional roller coaster. Just with Susie as Josie. That's it. That's the emotional center point, is Josie. And Susie is phenomenal with that. I think Susie- I think Josie's the reason why I couldn't stop fucking crying after Grandma died, to be honest with you. And I'm just like, Susie, Susie, I love you. But I fucking hate you. <laughs> Girl. The fuck. <laughs> it hurts. It hurts good. It hurts. It hurts so, so much. God. It, it's... Just seeing all of this whole roller coaster for Josie. When you start at the beginning where it's the low point in Josie's life. And she's just so sheltered, but then she start seeing that roller coaster ramp up when she starts going out more with Suneo and experiencing these new things and learning these new things. Just seeing the pure joy portrayed in by Susie. And then grandma dies and you start like teetering off a little bit. And it's like, what the fuck am I gonna do? How am I gonna do this? How, I'm gonna have I have to support myself. I can't just do what I'm doing right now for the rest of my life. I can't do that. And then you start seeing the dip, but it's like you hit, she gets back into that rock bottom right before the accident again. And it's just this huge tour de force. And Susie straight up carries the film. Josie is the thing that li- that this film lives or dies by. Not just the relationship between her and Sunio. Josie is the thing that li- this film lives or dies by. Because her struggle is one of the main plot lines of this film. So seeing Susie portray that in a way that is natural, that can be relatable to some people, and it- it's just beautiful, to be honest with you. I'll definitely agree with you there, because it's clear that she starts out as this kind of, like, cold, like, mm-hmm. feisty, hissing stray cat of a character. Yeah. And then, as you see a little more of her vulnerabilities and desires, she starts to open up, and you start to see more of, like, who she is, what makes her tick, and that she was this sheltered girl right. who's kind of lived lived her life in the ignorance of the dangers mm-hmm. of the world around her, because... Like, Grandma didn't want her to see 
how hard it was going to be for a girl in her situation, somebody who is disabled in society, who will have to work twice as hard to get anything she ever wants. Mm -hmm. She kind of wanted her to live in ignorance of that. But the reality is she has the strength to face it head on. Yes. It's just she hasn't, she hadn't found it yet. She hadn't found the sound that in particular to try and face what she wanted, even though it was going to be hard. Yeah. I think the reality is... I think the thing I appreciate more with the relationship of Suneo and Josie the second time around is I recognize this is an equal partnership. Yes. And they have to come to terms in order to move forward by being there for each other and being able to be there for each other yep. instead of just one way or the other. Yep, because when Suneo tries to like reach out to her after Grandma Chizu passes away... At this point, Josie has already been bombarded with all this other stuff that's happening and her trying to adjust to all of this, that she shuts Suneo out. And then when Suneo gets into the accident, the reverse ends up true. Suneo shuts everyone out, which includes, by extension, Josie too. Because Josie, I think, only visited him like once in the hospital before the, the, um, the picture book comes into play. So... It's about, it is about an equal partnership, really. And mm-hmm. just coming to terms with each other, not just each other, but with yourself. And yeah, I feel like it goes without saying, absolutely pretty floored in general with mm-hmm. Susie's performance. She gets a lot of the sort of brat, like the little bratty kid yes. to becoming a much more like mature, puts together, or at least knows what she wants adult yes. woman. Absolutely. I think that you could kind of see the visual, not only just like from the vocal performance that Susie gives, you could literally hear the character kind of like growing up and growing out of her shell in real time. You see her literally looking more like, like a adult, like an adult working woman going from like a little, like a little kid at 12 or 13 or something. You also get that in some of the outfits that Josie wears. Oh yeah, she definitely looks a lot more mature. And she, she starts also... out uh, like outfits that a kid would normally wear, you would think, right? And then basically starts wearing like business casual turtlenecks right. and all that. And she even cuts her hair, tries different hairstyles, things like that. Unrelated. But you see her mature. It's very interesting. Minor thing, I want to give props to the uh, character designs in, the, in particular uh, by one uh, Na- now Emita. Okay. Which I didn't realize until doing research for this. That's the person who did the art for O Maidens in your Savage Season. Oh yeah, you told me that earlier. And then I looked at all the uh, specific facial expressions and like the way, the way that Josie looks at the end of the movie looks like some of the characters from O Maidens. And I'm like, oh shit, oh shit, I see it now. And I really like O Maidens. And O Maidens is also another tour de force of emotions and stuff. And you know what? Props, props. I, I really like uh, Now's particular design aesthetic in particular. I think yeah. I think Josie in particular very much shines aesthetically. And they, they show the her growing up in the film. Yeah. And it comes through in Susie's 
delivery, as I, I mentioned at the beginning of this, I think you could absolutely hear how she is much more awkward and unsure the of how to pre- yeah. present a story, like when, read a story to a bunch of kids, mm-hmm. to at the end of it, where she's much more refined yeah. at her presentation, at her vocal delivery, yep. at her storytelling, and like tell, like reading the parts compared to reading the narration. Mm-hmm. And you could really hear the progression, like that's what props to directing writing, that's also a prop to Susie for oh, conveying... 100%. Conveying the awkwardness of somebody who doesn't know how to read this story compared to somebody who does, and I think yeah. that was absolutely impressive. It also, I think that con- that contrast between both those reading sessions shows Josie's growth as a person too. So that really, like, all culminated. I think it all, like, the growth Josie goes through as a person and as an adult really culminates like fully in that moment where she's reading that story because she knows what she wants she knows what she's going to do now she's not giving up on herself and she's become more of this she's she's more of an adult now who's gone through the so many experiences compared to her being this shut-in that doesn't know how to interact with people you know what i mean so it, it comes full circle in that moment i think I'm not going to say that this is my favorite role of Susie's. I'm definitely going to... I'll, I'll give it top five. I think my favorite is still uh, something from last year, actually. Probably uh, 86. But I'm absolutely going to say that uh, her role as Josie is absolutely probably a top five for sure. She is really, really good. And... I might say this actually is my favorite, to be honest with you. But I need to go back to seeing what she's done. <laughs> So how's it feel to have a uh, former alumni of yours on the big screen? Oh, it's great. Like, I'm proud of you, girl. Mm-hmm. I need to catch up. Ooh, damn, I need to catch up with her sometime. I haven't talked to her in a long time. For those who don't know, uh, same high school. Yep. We're we're both from the same graduating class in high school, uh, believe it or not. More details, check out Kimono Friends. Yeah, Kimono Friends. I, I, I kind of talk about it. That's the first time we ever talked about Susie, so... Um, but yeah, no, um, absolutely very impressed with uh, her work in Josie in particular. And yeah, for sure, the big thing about this movie is, do you like... No, yeah, this is my favorite. Do you like Josie Do you like Josie and the relationship she has with Suneo? Yes or no? If yes, you're in. If not, you are very out. No, this is 100% my favorite Susie. And basically, if you like Toradora or don't like Toradora, that's a that's what I'm going to say is a good uh, tentpole. By the way, fucking hate fireworks season, guys. Holy shit! Fireworks have been going off around our area for the past three days. It's and I'm pretty positive I can see reflections off of cars. They're shooting fireworks on, over there now. We might need to hold off for a few minutes. Nah, fuck it. We already we're already here. We're already here. We're almost at the end. We're at final thoughts. Let's do final thoughts. Bottom line. Bottom line with Susie and Howard. Fantastic job. They carry the movie in. That's a fine, fun dynamic. And I love it. Uh, But props to Susie for being the big emotional weight throughout the course of the film. So final thoughts on Josie, the tiger and the fish. I like this much better on my rewatch. I'm going to be honest with you. I like, yeah, I like it so much more on my rewatch because the first time around, I I enjoyed it, but I don't think I appreciated it, was I, the thing. I think that's kind of where I'm at, too. Even with some of the, 
even though I have some uh, extra details I didn't know about with the uh, director interview, like the stuff with Grandma Chizu and the fact that this movie was about more than just a romance. It was right. about relationships and like being a dependable partner. Yeah. That stuff I didn't have at the time. But even watching this a second time, I knew what I was expecting. And I feel like I got to appreciate the characters, yeah. especially Josie, yes. a lot more 100%. on my rewatch. I think I got to understand it a lot more yeah and appreciate it a lot more which the fact that i, I agree with that because when we first saw it in the movie theater and when it was in theaters for that limited run last july i can't believe it was fucking july it was almost a year ago since we watched that film holy shit by it, the time this comes out it will have been it will have been year. um point is though i like obviously when you're watching a movie for the first time you don't know anything going into it you're going to be surprised and with all these different things that are happening, you don't know what to expect. When you go back to rewatch it, knowing what you know now, you kind of appreciate the little the subtleties, those little moments of character development. You get to see more of it, and I 100% appreciate it so much more uh, on my rewatch now than I did when we first saw it a year ago. Now, um, the dub I think is really really solid, mm -hmm. to be honest. The directing and writing, I, I adored it. It hit the emotional beats very nicely. It hit those highs and lows. It helped flesh out character dynamics and relationships, which I think it, with a film like this, it's very important. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't sugarcoat things either. It, it, it just seems natural and real. So, and performance-wise, just kudos to the cast here. Like, there are some phenomenal performances, some of which are... Um, not my favorite performances. I've seen some of these actors do like things that I enjoy a lot more. Howard and Susie had a very killer year last year. Howard by the way. and Susie just knocked it out of the park last year. Oh, Zeno and Danny too, actually. Oh yeah, they all they all had a fantastic year. But I think what really sold the film for me was Josie and her character and her growth and everything that happened to her. And with Josie being essentially that big emotional center about the course of the film, that's a huge weight to carry, and Susie carries it fantastically. But overall, the cast is phenomenal. I loved all the performances. And just the directing and the writing is just so solid on this. It's, again, like you said, your your enjoyment of this film is going to depend if you like a character type like Josie's. If you, basically... I'd say, like, your taiga is basically your... I, mean, I don't want to use the phrase sundere, but basically right. kind of that similar... It kind of leans into that character Archetype type. of somebody who's a little more shut off, lashes out, yep. but then softens up when you get... I literally just described a fucking sundere. Fucking who am yeah, I Yeah, you just said. <laughs> do you think sundere suck, or do you think they're cool? That's 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 it. That, that, that's a very yeah. simple, bastardized version. That's that's what you're going to think. And I'm going to be honest, I'm... I'm I'm down for that. I, I personally, I recommend this film. It's a beautiful film, and I enjoy the dub. It, if you haven't watched it yet, I think you should go watch it. Now I know you'll probably be okay with Toradora. Oh, probably. But you, what? What about you? How did you feel about this film? I, I said, I said earlier that I absolutely appreciate this. I think I like this movie a lot more on my rewatch because yeah. I felt like I was, a, I, I liked it, but I didn't love it the first time no, around. No, yeah, you appreciated a lot more on the second time. There's a lot more I get about these characters. Mm -hmm. I understand the more I get about the dramatic cinematic parallels yep. and the development of Josie and Sunio as a relationship that they are 
that they are just not they are not codependent yes they are in i'm going to use this phrase they are not codependent they are independent together no i'd say they're dependent just not codependent they they depend they depend they do depend on each other but not to the excessive point of that's what i meant they are not codependent they are independent together that still doesn't make sense, but okay. It's we'll, a look, we'll roll with it. Look, it's a fucking song from Steven Universe, and I love that song. It's a good. That it explains is, a couple of things. I haven't fucking seen Steven Universe. God, you, you, we need to fix that. I like I like watching things with you, so we're gonna watch that together at some point on the backlog, which is as long as it's not fucking Gumball again. Oh my god, God! You know what? I love I love this woman dearly. The closest thing we will ever come to fight is our disagreements on the amazing world of Gunball. I hate Gunball. It's such a good show. It's so it's cool. It's fucking stupid. The animation style is unique. It's silly. It's European. The animation style is fine, yes. But the, the, the whole idea of the amazing world of Gunball is stupid. You can fight me in the comments. I don't care. There's a Gumball actor in anime now. I know. Good for Jacob Hopkins. I still don't like Gumball. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Sorry, Jacob. Look, I don't like Gumball. Look, f- friends, fellas, guys, gals, non-binary pals. Yes. Relationships are about work. They're about patience. They're about understanding. They're about compromise. They're about compromise. They're about seeing eye to eyes. You're not always He's going to... He's taking my hands again, ladies and gentlemen. You're not always going to agree on everything. Yeah. You're not always going to like everything. You don't have to share the same interest in everything. Mm-hmm. But what you do do... Yes. ...is when you love somebody and you care about them, you want to be there to help each other through thick and thin... You want to be there and support each other. You want to make sure that it is a partnership and what one person is taking advantage of the other. That's why I appreciate a lot more about this movie as I recognize is that Josie and Sunio very much want to be there for each other and help each other, but not like one it depends on the other as equals. And that's something I really love about you is I feel like I can be equals with you and you help me and i help you and we're in this together and yes i know what you're about to say that's pretty gay (laughs) no what i was actually gonna say was um when you got to that butt moment i thought you were gonna sass me about my dislike for gumball actually (laughs) stephanie (laughs) yes i love you with all of my heart yes i can make this work even if you are a filthy gumball hater Oh, shit. Anyway. Uh, we'll make this work somehow, I promise. We've only been... We'll get through this rough patch! We've only been together for almost four years, Andrew. Anyways, yeah. And yet, you still here you are, me and my heathen, heathenistic ways of gumball. That made no sense, but hey, it makes sense in my brain. <laughs> Anyways, um, so... So, Josie the Tiger and the Fish... I think both of us recommend this film a lot. Both of us rec- this mo- recommend this movie. But we, we will say that if you aren't, if you're a person who doesn't really like the character type of Josie, you're not going to get really any, any enjoyment from this because you're probably going to have a hard time getting past Josie as a character. If you are, you're going to be in. If you're good with that kind of character, you're you're good. Uh, where where can the where can the lovely folks find so, this movie? So, 
if you if you yourself want to watch Josie the Tiger and the Fish, um, it is available on home video release from the now the company formerly the known company as form- Funimation yep. Entertainment. Yep, the company formerly known as Funimation Entertainment. Uh, now probably under Crunchyroll. Uh, the film I don't believe is available for streaming. Unfortunately, it, I do not believe it is. So, so it's, it's a home video. So home video, right? As of right, the wow, home video at the time of this recording is the only way you can see it. But it is. It's a. It's a home video. It's a movie. It's like twenty or thirty bucks. It's probably pretty cheap. Mm-hmm. My copy comes with a copy of the soundtrack, which we didn't even talk about how fucking great the music was oh, from Yvonne Call, which Yvonne Call you'll know for works. On things like Opera Ranmon and Violet oh, yeah. Evergarden. Yep, that makes sense. But anyway, yep, that's the only... Home video is the only way you'll be able to watch the film. Um, if you're interested in anything that we at Dub Talk do, uh, you can follow... If you're already on YouTube and you're watching the video version of the episode, welcome. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe. It's awesome. We put out new episodes typically on Fridays. We're, but if we're you, cool. Unlike Josie, we don't bite. Ah, oh, Jesus Maybe. Christ. No, don't you dare. He grabbed my arm and he was going to fucking bite me. No, I wasn't. Yes, you were, you dick. No, I wasn't. Rude. Anyway, if you're listening to us on audio platforms like Spotify, iTunes, or Podbean, uh, if you want to hit the follow button on the podcast channel so you can keep getting weekly episodes in your queue, that would be awesome. Uh, you can also follow us on social media at Dubtuck Podcast on Twitter, uh, Twitch, Instagram and Tumblr are both dead at this stage. Um, and then if you are interested in supporting us in a different capacity, uh, we do have for one-time donations a Kofi account where you can submit a small little one-time donation to support the show. Uh, but we also have, if you want to support us uh, for the long, for the more of a long run, uh, we do have a Patreon. Uh, and you can get fun little perks, including early access to our upcoming episodes, Clips, little news, um, ep- Patreon episode raffles quarterly, uh, and also shoutouts like these wonderful people that we're going to thank right now, um, including Megan's mom and dad, Michelle Travis, Nico Robin, but with Yowie hands, Victor Mayborda, Anthony Brown, Carly Lestical, Crimson Echidna, Jacob Wilson, Jared Hawkins, Julia W., Marissa Lenti, and Otaku Anthony. Love you beautiful people. Thank you for supporting the show. We love your faces. Uh, as for the two of us and what we do, you can follow Andrew on Twitter at Mangaman9000. Um, and he's also a co-host on Severe Resolutions Podcast ONA along with fellow Dub Talk host Jet. As for me, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Lilac Anime Review with review being spelled R-E-V-U-E. I have a blog, Life and Times to Talk at WordPress.com, that has been gathering dust for ages. I should fix that somehow. Uh, but you can also catch the two of us uh, speaking about the um, Twitch, the Dub Talk Twitch, two seconds ago. Uh, you can catch us on Sundays streaming. I usually typically stream in the afternoon while Andrew's at work. At the time of the and recording. then we also stream in the evenings as well on Sundays. At, at the, the time of this recording, we t- are in the middle of playing through the sequel of I the Somnium Files Nirvana Initiative. Well, no, hold on. At the time of this recording, we haven't started Nirvana Initiative yet. At the by release the, of this by episode, the time the co- this episode comes out, we'll be in the middle of Nirvana. Continuity. Initiative. I'm trying. Your wording was awful, and also okay, at the time. Ha- okay, we could cut that if you want. No, fuck it. We're doing it live now, baby. And also at the time of this recording, 
Um, if you come see me on Sunday afternoons, I'm in the middle of streaming Pokemon Legends Arceus, where, again, I recently caught an alpha fucking Gengar after manifesting it. It's true. So, She's very proud of it. It was very cute. I'm very cute. proud of it. And I have a Gengar onesie, which makes it even better. Um, but no, thank you very much for sticking around with us for a couple of hours. Um, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Stick or Come back next week, where I believe the next film on the docket for Summer of the Movies is... Um, Makoto Shinkai's Weathering With You. We hope you can weather the storm, ladies and gentlemen. That's a depressing note to end on. That was a bit of a depressing note to end on. I was trying to do a bit about weathering, and then I got weather the storm, and I'm like, ooh, that's a little harsher than I thought. That's a little de- more depressing than I thought. Your pun failed. I'm sorry, baby. <sighs> should have. You should have prayed harder to that cosmic deity when we were doing the seance, you know? I wasn't praying. I I refused the praise to the cosmic DVD in the summoning circle. Anyways, we went over this. So yeah. Anyways, uh, tune tune in for that episode next week. Uh, thank you all for watching. Uh, you're beautiful people. We love your faces. And remember, together, they can fly. Taku on, my friends. Have a good night. Your monster guy.